0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, June twenty second, 2021. I moved to San Antonio, Texas, kind of in the middle of my childhood. So uh, getting there midstream, I found that I was plopped down into a battle that I didn't know anything about. There was a controversy uh, raving, raging all around me. There was a rivalry where I, I apparently had to pick a side. And that was the Texas Longhorns versus the Texas A&M. Aggies. And that was a big deal uh, growing up in Texas. You you had people on both sides. You would see the burnt orange uh, for those supporting the University of Texas. You would see the maroon for those supporting Texas A&M. And, you, you know, you started to become aware of the traditions of these schools. And personally, I kind of felt like Switzerland. I didn't really have a dog in the fight, but it was always right there. In front of me. And so you would see these things and, you know, see people wearing the shirts and the hats and flying the colors. But there was one shirt in particular that I would see that actually came from today's reading uh, from Psalm 75. And you you saw a shirt that had Psalm 75 verse 10 on it. And it had the uh, familiar shape of the Texas longhorn logo, except the problem is the horns were broken and under that it said the beginning of Psalm 75 verse 10, all the horns of the wicked I will cut off. Now as we think about that verse, first thing I want us to realize is as it was written, a Psalm of Asaph, it has nothing to do with college football. Okay. Now that we have that out of the way, what does it Uh, talk about? What does it mean? Uh, And that's where really we're going to see in Psalm 75, nothing to do with rivalry or sports or schools, but a lot to do with justice. And that is something that is on and should be on our hearts. It can be a very confusing thing as our world, you know, justice becomes a, a buzzword or people talk about social justice. And you really have to start asking a lot of questions about what people even mean? Uh, Because there's lots of ways our society just can't think straight at all about justice, but we need to see, no, God is clearly a God of justice. And even just as we think through some basic meanings of that word, right? We just need to realize that right is right. Wrong is wrong and wrong should be punished and dealt with. And we want righteousness and fairness and equity to be uh, the standard in our society. But what happens when we look around and do see a world that is full of wrong and evil and injustice? How can we respond in those moments? And that is where Psalm 75, I hope, will actually encourage us. And actually, it's not... A psalm like sometimes we see where there's all these cries for God bring justice and really hopelessness, this psalm uh, seems to be a little bit more positive. I mean, look how it begins in verse 1 of Psalm 75, and we read all of Psalm 75 today. It says, We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. So there, it's, it's positive. It's praising God. And then it goes into a quote from God saying, at the set time I appoint, I will judge with equity, right? There's that idea of equity, um, fairness, right? Justice. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. Uh, and then we see uh, verse six says, for not from the east or from the west, And not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another for in the hand of the Lord. There is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. So there we see in that Psalm really more of what that verse is all about. And it's really a celebration that God is in control and God is going to bring justice. I love what it says there um, in verse three, when the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. And so this hopefully should give us some confidence and there should be a level of confidence with which we go through life and even in this world. And we, we see how it's not easy. It's it's not simple. There, there's going to be moments like we see in the Psalms where we look out at the world, kind of like we saw in Psalm 74. God, where are you? God, how long? While at the same time, there should be an attitude of confidence because we know where God is. We know that he is in control and we know that he is going to make things right. And so we should be able to rejoice like we see in Psalm 75. And I want to encourage you just if there are situations in life um, where you feel like, God, I've been treated wrongly. I've been treated unfairly. Or you look out at the world and you see things going on that just are not right, are not just, are not good. We serve a God who is in control and he will make things right. And I think there's a couple of ways we can think about that and anticipate that often just in his own time, not always when we want to, but even in this life, God makes things Right. And we can just look throughout scripture like we will in a minute. We can look throughout history and see times kind of to put it pretty straightforwardly where bad guys get their comeuppance, right? Where they are exposed and the evil that they are doing is stopped. And we can celebrate that. uh, I think a lot of times that happens because God is in control. And there are moments where God will make sure that the bad guys don't win and that they are exposed. But we also think through long term and we know that there will be times where it seems like people are doing evil and getting away with it. And so we have to take even somewhat of an eschatological approach to all this. And remember, hey, in all the ways that I don't see God bring justice right now or in my lifetime, I can still rest assured that eventually he will. And even when it talks about there's this cup with foaming wine, right, that should probably get you thinking even about this idea we see in Revelation, you know, the wrath of God being poured out, right? God is going uh, to make things right eventually. The wicked of the earth are going to have to drink from that cup. And we can praise God that we've been reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. So, When you think about the horns of the wicked being cut off, let's not so much apply it to college football, but let's rejoice that we serve a God who is in control and he will make things right. And if we don't always see that in this life, we know ultimately it's going to be done. Now we get to look at an instance of where God brings about his justice in history as we look at First Kings 22. First Kings twenty two. We wrap up the book of First Kings, although that's somewhat arbitrary. As we think about um, the Hebrew Old Testament and how the Jewish people would have thought of it, there wasn't really these divisions between First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. So we're kind of just reaching the middle point of going through Kings, um, but we see here about the end of Ahab. Remember, God had said uh, things weren't going to end well for Ahab and his family. And while it might have been restrained and not as bad as it could have been, we still see Ahab meets uh, an end, even though he tries to get around what God says. Uh, it talks about Ahab going to war, and he's kind of formed an alliance with the king of the southern kingdom. So again, to review, Ahab is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and he's made an alliance with jehoshaphat the king of the southern kingdom and jehoshaphat for the most part was a good thing in fact probably the worst thing he does is make this alliance with ahab but they're about to go to war together and ahab basically lines up all these false prophets to tell him what he wants to hear. But there is one prophet who says, uh, No, it's not going to end well for you, Ahab. And even that God was working through the mouths of the false prophets to get Ahab to go into battle. And it's, I mean, comical. You don't really want to laugh at what happens here, but it's amazing to see how Ahab, as a response to all this, he thinks he's going to game the system and say, Well, you know what? I'm just going to go into battle dressed as nobody. Um, And, you know, the king of Judah, he goes in dressed as the king, and a bunch of people start chasing him until they realize he is not the king of Israel because the Syrians were under orders hey, go find the king of Israel. And even though Ahab was hiding in kind of regular armor, regular clothes, wasn't looking like the king. Look at verse 34 where it says, But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. And that's how Ahab ends up dying. And you look at that verse and you realize there was nothing random about that. It was 100% God's purposes being accomplished. And so, even here, when you have a wicked king trying to avoid God's will by listening to false prophets and trying to avoid the ending that God had decreed by going into battle in disguise, God's will is still done. You might even say the horns of the wicked were cut off. And so, we read about the end of King Ahab. Here And we'll get more into the end of Elijah and how he passes the mantle on to Elisha as we start second Kings tomorrow. Well, next let's go to second Corinthians chapter eight verses 16 through 24. And here it is a section really, it's going to talk about generosity and giving. And it seems that the church in Corinth was doing some things to be generous to believers in other parts of the ancient world where there were hard times and struggles. And we'll get more into that in chapter 9, but we see even today Paul talking about Titus and talking about what is going on with, with kind of this campaign amongst churches. And look at verse 20. It says, We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but in the sight of man. And there, I think that's just a good principle for Christians to live by. Uh, We know that God is going to honor what is right. That's what we've kind of seen so far this morning. God's justice will ultimately be done. And so we don't need to get too caught up in opinions and what everybody else thinks, but we still wanna just take as a simple course of guidance in life that we aim to do what is honorable in the Lord's sight but also in the sight of man. And that doesn't mean we're trying to please everybody. We can't do that, but we want to do what is honorable, right? We don't want to do something that looks shady. We want to do what is right first and foremost in God's eyes, but as much as possible uh, in the eyes of, of man as well. So we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we wrap up today going back to Luke chapter 1. And we talked yesterday about, well, Mary, did you know? And well, the angel told her a lot. And it seems that a lot was known pretty quickly because today we just look at very few verses in verses 39 to 45. But it tells us about Mary going and visiting Elizabeth. Now remember, Elizabeth is the a wife of Zechariah, and will be the mother of John the Baptist. And Mary is obviously the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. And it seems that there was some connection and relation between uh, these families. And so we see here them having this reunion, and they both have these incredible pregnancies going on. And even it says, Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So just notice that phrase. They weren't scratching their heads, being, Man, this is kind of weird. What's going on with these pregnancies we're experiencing? No, it seems that there was a level of knowledge about what was going on, and even Elizabeth calling Mary the mother of my Lord, right? So here, even before Jesus is born, we're seeing something clearly stated in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is Lord. And so we can rejoice that Jesus is Lord. And as Lord, as King, he is going to bring justice. And so we can have a joyful outlook at life knowing